Infections are infectious Like a dog scratched ear But pleasure is high Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show, Being Human. I hope you've remembered your pitchforks and rotten tomatoes as we venture into episode 4 of series 1. I sort of view Another Fine Mess as a turning point in the scope of the show as a whole. Just a quick heads up, and it's obvious if you've watched the episode. If you've not, why are you listening to this? You mad, mad person. This touches on some sensitive subjects and adult themes. So, to welcome to the show our German correspondent, Francis. Hello! I'm really uh, happy to be l- here. Live from Berlin. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on the show. First question, and the priority question is, do you identify as a vampire, werewolf, or a ghost? You know, that's actually such a difficult question for me. Because either, as we've talked before, you'll probably think I'm going to say vampire, because <laughs> I love vampires. But it's really difficult, because I think, actually, in my heart, I'm probably a ghost. <laughs> But I'm oh, a ghost. That does surprise me. Yes, but I think I'm a ghost as they are in being human, aspiring to be a vampire, you could say. Because ghosts, they're like, um, like very anxious and a bit scared of the world and always a bit hiding, like if we see any. And it's, there's always like something weighing them down, I think, and stopping them from interacting with the world. And I do see myself in that. But I'm trying to work on it. <laughs> and I'm trying to become a bit more like... What are vampires like? A bit more hedonistic, maybe a bit more outgoing and spontaneous. And I'm trying, trying to get that. Well, you could view ghosts as introverts. Yeah, probably. And vampires who are technically ghosts because they're dead, but yeah. they're just visible. They're, they're extrovert ghosts. Yeah, maybe, maybe that. Or if you just say, maybe I could just say I'm hell. <laughs> because then I'm a vampire. <laughs> That's a bit like a ghost. I'm aware that you have quite an interest in vampires. I do. This is a very, really difficult question. <laughs> and I hit you with this about 15 minutes ago. So good luck with the answer on this one. <laughs> what are your three favourite fictional vampires? I love the fact that I put fictional. Yeah, me too. Because, yeah. <laughs> because some vampires are real kids. Yeah, obviously. Well, actually. So your favourite three fictional uh, vampires of all time. Yeah. Actually, two of those were really easy for me and I had them right away. And I picked Hal, obviously, because Hal is me. Um, <laughs> and For what reasons is Hal you? Uh, it's so uh, it's, it's difficult. Hal is a bit... Um, he's very introverted. I say he's very scared of the world. Like, he's always hiding inside. He's scared of himself. He's scared of making new um, discoveries, meeting new people, really interacting and, and making new experiences. And I do feel that. And especially at the time I watched Being Human for the first time, I really deeply identified with that, with that fear mm. of like everything. So that's why I definitely chose Hal. My second pick is Spike from Buffy. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, definitely Spike. And the third pick, I, I didn't really know what I should also pick Mitchell. But then I was like, okay, I've got really got someone from being human. And even though I really love both of them very much, um, I went with Bill 
from True Blood. A very unpopular choice, I think. I see. Yeah, I know about Spike, but I've ne- I've probably seen one episode of True Blood, so... Well, the first, the first season's really good. In my opinion, the second and third are also great, and then it really dips down. So what is it, what is it about Bill that makes you choose that one? Uh, he's a very unpopular character, I have to say that. Um, he was like the kind of the nice vampire, you could say, in the beginning, in the main love interest of Suki. Um, but he kind of... Well, his character went downhill. There was a real digression in him. Um, like morally, it kind of escalated in a bad direction. But in the very end, he really found himself again and tried to uh, make up for it all. Um, I, I, I don't know, I really like that there was such darkness in the character that was introduced as the most sympathetic of all the vampires in the show. Because the vampires in True Blood are all pretty dark, you could say. It's a very gory show. But he was the one you thought, okay, I can't hold on to him. He's kind of weird, but overall he's moral. He's trying to do the right thing. Um, and then he wasn't. Then he became the villain. What is it about vampires then that that is such an interest of yours? I really think it's that they're so different from me. To me, they represent a kind of freedom, I'd say. It's a freedom okay. to really go out and do what you feel like and not be held back by, by these fears of the world. You're, you're powerful. You can do anything, theoretically. Um, yeah. I really think it's that. Although in being human, I guess, I, I can't speak for shows like True Blood. <laughs> they are weighed down by their own conscience, really, aren't they? They're, yeah. They've got that ability to be free and to terrorise the world, but definitely re- rein it in. Yeah, definitely. I think that's why it's so interesting, really, because they've got all this power vampires always have, but they're really tormented by it, and I think that's just so that's just so human. <laughs> it really yeah. brings them down on our level, on every level. How did you get into being human? Was it, it just a natural progression from other vampire-based shows? In a way, I really don't have the same story I've heard on the podcast so far, because apparently everybody just saw some sort on TV, or in the shop or something. I didn't. I didn't see any promotion at all. I didn't think it ever really got to Germany. <laughs> but I basically at the time I was Googling vampire TV shows regularly. And I stumbled upon this one when I think there were four seasons out. Okay. Yeah. Um and I just checked it out and I was very surprised at how good it is. Because when you regularly google vampire tv shows or vampire movies you ah it's bad (laughs) most of it's really bad and there are very few gems strewn in there and this was one of them that's really interesting because obviously my access into the show was kind of that opinion oh vampire things god they're awful (laughs) so it's very interesting to hear someone else take that especially as someone who's into vampires obviously well um I, I like to say that I like things, I, I check things out for vampires. When there are vampires in them, I'm interested and I'm going to check them out. But I only really like them when there's more to it. Um, and being yes. human is when definitely more, one of those. When, when there's more depth. Yes, definitely. More depth. When they're doing something with the vampires, there's not just, hey, you've got vampires. It's interesting now. You know, they're trying to say something like being human. Speaking of which, I think we'll crack on with episode four. Yes. 
It's called Another Fine Mess. Uh. It was first aired on February 15th, 2009. Uh, it was directed by Alex Pillai and write, written by Toby Whithouse and Brian Dooley. And of course, other than our trio, we have Annabelle Scully, Jason Watkins, Dylan Brown, Greg Chillin, and of course, for this episode, Julia Ford and Nicola Allen as Bernie. Is this one of your favourite episodes? I'm sure we, when we spoke before about this, you, you're really a big fan of this one. It actually isn't one of my favourite episodes, I'd say. Right, get out. I think it's very interesting. No, I think it's a very interesting episode. It's the turning point for the season, so it's very important. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it is a big turning point for the season. So we start with Mitchell contemplating his own existence amongst the night nightlife of Bristol. Yeah. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Who are my people? Where do my loyalties lie? We all choose our tribe. It's that need to belong, to live within boundaries, because it's scary on the outside, on the fringes. Now, this is a big setup for what happens in the rest of the episode. Yeah, totally. George walks the street in the morning and clothes too tight for him. We assumed following a night after transforming, but he could have just put his clothes in the tumble dryer for too long. Yeah, maybe. I, mean, I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Elwood George, it always implies when he's wearing these funky clothes, it always implies he just picked them up somewhere. <laughs> Mitchell continues, some labels are forced on us. They mark us, set us apart until we are ghosts, just drifting through other people's lives. And there we cut aptly to Annie looking ponderous on the stairs. Yeah. I love and how his how his speech already tells us so much about his characters, how much about, about his his need to belong that we've already seen in the past episodes. But he really just wants to fit in and find his people. Yeah, and that's exactly that's in the, in the cut to Annie. She wants to fit in. Yeah. She wants to be seen, and she wants to be part of society. And uh, he says, "But only if we let the labels hold." Yeah. So we then head to. Queen Square in Bristol, a place I actually have been many times myself, huh. going to and from concerts. Never in my time have I been wearing army gear, top hats, dodgy tashes or punk tartan. Yeah, hmm, maybe you're just not as cool as Mitchell. <laughs> I am nowhere near as cool as Mitchell. So we get a kind of time lapse of him walking for his past 50 years and he's probably not wash his hair in any of that time uh, well he never does he concludes you can piss your whole life away trying to figure out who you might be it's when you've worked out who you are that you really start to live yeah what i thought was really interesting about the choices of clothing uh he was in that they were all so different like so many different vibes and different really different people he was uh, I thought that was really interesting because it isn't like uh, 15 versions of the same thing. Yeah, it's not just an evolution of things either, is it? It's, yeah. it, it you say it's probably to accentuate just how much Mitchell tries to fit in and yeah. tries to be part of society every time, you know, and it's kind of the evolution of Mitchell in a few seconds. Yeah, I think it really shows how he's just always searching for something and apparently never really finding it. So in a very Mitchell-centric opening, we get him storming into the funeral parlour and grabbing Seth by the throat. Yeah. He's demanding Lauren's whereabouts and Herrick enters the room. He never rings, he never writes. Herrick, perhaps ironically, tells him that he keeps hurting her. Yeah, but in a way, I mean, he's not wrong, is he? I mean, it's a confrontation with the whole Lauren disaster. And especially for Mitchell, that rings true. He's not wrong, but 
Herrick giving lectures on morals uh, is yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's true. It's it's a bit hypocritical. <laughs> yeah, Mitchell says she she came to him, and Herrick says, "What else was she going to do? She couldn't exactly call childline, could she?" <laughs> well, she could have tried. When I recruited you, I didn't abandon you. I took care of you. Do you know why? Because it was my responsibility. This thing you're doing with your furry friend, one of a classic being human line here, raiding the dressing up box, pretending to be human. Yeah. It's a game. That's so classic <laughs> because it reappears in season four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think there are certain themes and certain lines which in the next incarnation of the show are reboxed, aren't they? But it's, yeah. a, it's a nice, they're always a nice little nod to the past. Yeah. Uh, he says, you rip her mortality away and then you try and patch it up with these scraps of human behaviour. That is cruel, Mitchell. Yeah, it's, it's like he's not wrong. He's just framing it all very, very badly and in a very manipulative way. Yes. Uh, yeah. Mitchell is forlorn. He has his tail between his legs. He mentions the DVD and Herrick replies with, uh, you watched it then. You watched it to the end. He suggests Mitchell needs to go away and do his thing, get it out of his system and come back to them when he's ready. Yeah. Yeah, that's like how, when I was rewatching this episode, I thought that the whole setup with Herrick, how, when, it, when he appears over the episode and what he says and what he does, it was very like the devil tempting Mitchell, I thought. Because in the first scene, he's saying him, OK, you've got an out here, but get it out of your system first and then you come back to us. You, you'll surrender yeah. anyway. And then he shows up again. And in the end, well, there's a moment we'll get to later where that's you are exactly right. It is the devil doing temptation and he's using it in such a crafty way. Yeah, he's placing things in Mitchell's mind without Mitchell knowing. Yeah, exactly. At the pink house, Annie is sweeping up a broken mug. Mitchell is then surprised by a moving one. George enters asking for an opinion on his clothes as he's about to meet Nina. Annie insists he looks like bar staff. George goes to change and his second attempt is even more garish. Mitchell confronts Annie on the mug-based action and suddenly draws her opening and lights are flickering. This has been happening since her Owen discovery. Uh, it's like, what I thought was really interesting is that Annie outwardly seems to be very calm and collected about the whole Owen situation. But then there's this burst of emotion she can't control. Mitchell insists she's dealing with it. Yeah. And cleaning probably isn't the best method of recovery. Then coffee beans explode all over the table. Yeah, actually, cleaning for me is very, very uh, therapeutic. So maybe it works the same for her. When I'm angry or pissed at something, I clean something and it helps. I hope you mean pissed in the sense of angry. I do. Not when you're, not when you're drunk. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean angry. Yeah, I was doing some cleaning this morning and I found it quite fair. See, yeah. So maybe she's doing that, but it's not work, working that well. She isn't confronting her pain in any way. She's just pushing it on the on the slow burn. So George's costume attempt number three, <laughs> and he dismisses that one with, oh, that just lo looks like you can't be asked. Yeah. But George is getting tetchy and Mitchell says, oh, you're one of those guys who turns bumptious when they're getting <laughs> laid. Now, four marks for the use of the word bumptious. <laughs> It needs to get back into fashion. Yeah. George's pitch gets higher and higher. Don't call it getting laid. With Nina, it's more poetic. <sighs> Always. Yes, very funny. The werewolves are romantic, though the sex was verging on ferocious. Then reality hits him because he realises he was on the jaw of a change when he was with Nina. Yeah, when he was writing a beautiful poem with Nina, shall we say. That's such a, a classic line. The, 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 the next joke is <laughs> so classic. One of the first things <laughs> I think about when I think of being human. <laughs> 
Yeah, I had the wolf in me. Yeah, and, so did Nina. And Rich, <laughs> so did Nina. He's now worried that Nina is hungry for the wolf. Yeah, but George is he, nervous the whole episode, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he's, he's always that, anxious. Um, he, yeah, uh, he gets zero reassurance from his housemates. No, honestly. no, they don't really see how, how painful it is to put himself out there like that. Mitchell leaves the house, sunshades on and looking at the sun with a bit of disdain. He sees two kids picking on someone and reluctantly steps in. He confronts them and they tell him to piss off. Mitchell has no time for this. You're about free. Or sorry, sorry in his Irish accent, tree. <laughs> Fuck off, goth boy, they say, and they push him to the point where he flickers his eyes at them, vamp style, and they run away. So reckless, isn't it? It is pretty reckless. Yes. You know, he's probably thinking they're not going to believe kids. Uh, the boy's name is Bernie and they instantly have a, a bond of some kind. Mitchell is reassuring and it's a nice touch that Bernie is immediately copying Mitchell's pose as he leans against the wall with arms crossed. Soon Mitchell's mum appears. She's very flustered and they introduce themselves and she says, that's a modern way of living for you. They could have Osama Bin Laden stashed away at number six and I wouldn't know. <laughs> Mitchell gives a knowing, yeah. It's a little awkward interaction, isn't it? Fleur! <laughs> Flour. It's not acid reflux. That is her name. Uh, apparently, she's used to really angry and, and rude people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she invites Mitchell in for tea, and his disappointment is real when it's chamomile. And I mean, fair enough. Have you ever tasted chamomile tea? Yeah, and he's probably used to Annie's tea. Let's be honest. Chamomile tea tastes like muddy, pissy water. <sighs> To me, chamomile tea tastes like I'm sick and I'm drinking tea now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to get some, some good stuff into your yeah, system. Yeah, exactly. You can get the relationship between Bernie and Fleur <laughs> straight away. Uh, she's very kind, but kind of unsettled. And he's shy and embarrassed, mostly by his mum. Yeah. He tells Mitch, she tells Mitchell that he's one of the good guys. Now, cut to George and Nina ready to go out. Nina is raging about a co-worker and that she has to go into work instead. George, it seems, chose to be bar staff for the night because he's in the black shirt. <laughs> well, it was the best, best option out of them all, wasn't it? He's about to get a bonus tip because Nina wants a quickie before work. <laughs> <laughs> the early interactions are always very awkward, but this is... They are. This is probably worse than the last episode. They are, but I do like that Nina seems to think it's cute. She isn't put off by his awkwardness. She bites his ear and he squeals. Nina says, I thought you liked it rough. And George explains it won't always be like that the other night. And she's relieved. Uh, they decide to slow things down. Or as Nina delicately puts it, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting we wear those weird chastity rings. You know, we're not shagging because we're mentals. <laughs> so, uh, yes, they're going to take it slowly now. Yeah, but at least they're uh, both on the same page in their relationship at this point. And you could argue at least they're talking about it yeah. rather than go rather than going days and days and days of worrying about it yeah, and not talking exactly. to each other. So Mitchell steps out the house looking a bit happier this time. Hopefully he's had a proper cup of tea now. Yeah. Uh, Bernie and Fleur are leaving the house. Uh, she's off to Tesco and he's into town and Mitchell offers to go with him. I know he's 12. Yeah. I'm not a parent myself. I'm stepdad. <laughs> But I don't know if I would let my 12-year-old... Yeah, I guess Mitchell made a really good impression, apparently. But no, it's a bit... It, it's wild. It's a wild decision. 
Especially As after she see Lot doesn't see him in the mirror. Well, exactly. As they head off together down the yeah. street, Fleur gets a vanity mirror out and in reflection notice that Mitchell isn't there. Yeah, and apparently that doesn't bother her very much. Well, I think you could explain that away because she's kind of like putting a finger in her eye, wiping something away, isn't she? Ah, uh, maybe, yeah. And then she catches it quite quickly. Okay, yeah. And then kind of, it's probably one of those moments like, oh, no, that, that didn't really happen. Yeah. I'm just seeing things. Probably, yeah. I do like like this tiny scene right at the beginning of this one where he's blinking into the sun and there was another one earlier and yeah. I was always wondering, wondering what that's supposed to mean because nowhere in the series at any other point is it implied that they're very um, sensitive to sunlight. I mean, sometimes they say that, but it doesn't stop anybody from going out ever. And I was wondering why that is and I think maybe it's supposed to... Um, symbol his 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 change over the course of the episode um how close he is to his vampirism or how close he is to his humanity because in the beginning it was apparently more difficult for him to blink into the sun and then later it was more, it was easier when he got closer with bernie and i really like that yeah that's that's a good way of looking at it. i've not viewed it that way i think i viewed the rare times that mitchell kind of looks at the sun as a little nod to the main mythology of vampires yeah. is that they can't go out in the sun. Yeah, but it's happening but it's, two it... times in this episode and yes. I don't think at yeah. any other point ever. No, I think that's a very good point. It's probably telling us the stages that Mitchell is in in the episode. Yeah. So they're at the bowling alley and Bernie asked what he wanted to be when he was older. Oh. And I'm guessing a vampire wasn't an option given by the careers advisor. <laughs> Bernie gets sidetracked by the army talk, but here here's our first proper glimpse, I think, that there is a sense of contentment within Mitchell. Yeah, it's so sad. And I hate to break it to you guys, spoiler alert, <laughs> it doesn't last very long. Yeah, that's why it's so sad. Like, when you know the rest of the show and then go back and rewatch the first season, it's so sad. So in true Lauren style, she appears out of nowhere again, and because she's full of colour, he accuses her of killing again. She insists she's not here to drag him back and she's come to say goodbye i think aiden is magnificent in this episode i think it's his best episode yet absolutely and yeah. a lot a lot of what he's doing in his face in this episode is so good yeah definitely. because as, as soon as lauren says no there's no agenda i'm just saying goodbye if you need to come back you come back when you want he immediately his face just drops to sheer yeah. panic he's completely lost he really doesn't know what to do with any of this as things stand he knows that the vampires are a backup and they will always have him but yeah. if they're not coming to him and wanting him he's almost got that sense of abandonment totally he, he gave lauren yeah and i mean theoretically now everything is set up perfectly um for his new bright future in the human world because apparently the vampires won't stalk him any longer um but he really doesn't know what to do with that no he doesn't know what to do with the information like lauren says we've got the message we're leaving you alone it's just instant fear at the pro prospect she leaves by saying she has no bitterness yeah so she's also relieving him of her of his guilt kind of so yeah it's so difficult for him to deal with that and i think that he believes her. I, I think now he's thought no this isn't a mind game anymore. yeah though i was wondering whether she was sent by herrick again because it would fit into his, his, his plan for this episode to kind of confuse yeah. him and tempt him and get him to come back in another way. I think she probably was yeah. sent by Herrick. But I think the fact that both have just said, no, you go away, do your thing. We, we're not going to come to exactly. you is just shocked him. Yeah. 
and it falls into Herrick's master plan. Definitely. Uh, so Bor- Bernie falls as he rolls the ball and Mitchell runs to him and notices the blood. His eyes wide open, but he resists the temptation. Yeah. I think a big factor in that is the fact that Bernie's not a sexy woman. Probably, yeah. I think that's <laughs> an important factor, especially with Mitchell. But well done, Mitchell, anyway. I thought this uh, scene, this little scene was a bit like, it felt to me like um, part three of the sunlight. Because it's another yeah. thing where it's like, uh, it's typically vampiric and he should react in a certain way, but he doesn't. He's moved beyond that for now. Yeah, that's true. Like, like I say, like the first half of this episode is uh, almost like Mitchell moving to stages of happiness. Yeah. At the pink house, George's nap is disturbed as Mitchell bounds in with Bernie, bags full of food in hand. George introduces himself to Bernie in a way that even a two-year-old <laughs> would find patronising. Completely helpless. And, yeah, and then he goes to the other extreme. Do you want a lager, Bernie? <laughs> Have a ciggy if you like. He's apparently never met children before. Annie appears on the sofa and the boys look at him, look at her. Naturally, Bernie wonders what they're looking at. Cue an exercise workout that I could actually do. You're right, yeah. Uh, as they feast on carbs and sugar, George praises Nina with hand gestures. <laughs> <laughs> and Annie responds with, it's always down to the breasts. Well, apparently, yeah. So I assume from George's hand gestures, Nina has very square breasts. Yeah, but I was trying to understand what he was actually trying to say. Because he didn't mean <laughs> that. Or what did he, he was, mean? I, he was trying to censor himself in front of Bernie, wasn't he? Yeah, probably. But I ah. guess he couldn't do the hand grab gesture. Ah, so yeah. he was kind of, you know, George, he just gets in a mess. Yeah. So Mitchell explains George is knackered because he had his girlfriend around last night. Mm. Uh, and we get the 12 from George. <laughs> and his mood deepens. So the party rings are clearly not bringing her the good vibes. Yeah, well, she wasn't very um, enthusiastic about the food Mitchell brought. Yeah, and she says, I always wanted a boy. Tell him, Mitchell. Tell him never make plans, never hope, never dream. Yeah, she's so happy this episode. I love the odds at which they are, because they're having an enforced party, pretending to be happy and like with a 12-year-old, and there's this bleak... Yeah. Commentator in the corner of the room, but they they've got to ignore. Yeah, and he isn't very present in this episode overall, is she? I really no. While doing this rewatch, I really noticed how she was always just hovering in the background. Usually, she pushes into a scene with her presence, with her bubbliness. But this episode, she was just sitting somewhere in a corner, being sad most of the time, which is totally understandable. But it's different. So Annie sends the party rings flying, and they go to clear it up. Bernie sees a little statue and asks who they are. And Mitchell was, are you serious? Uh, They're Laurel and Hardy. I've actually never seen Laurel and Hardy. I know. I I mean, I know what they look like. Yeah. Bernie says, was the fat one prime minister? (laughs) George cracks me up every time this Uh, bit. You might be thinking of Churchill and then Annie. And I think it's, yeah, I think the fact that, you hear her voice, but you, it doesn't cut to her, and it's still on George's face when she says, or oh, Hitler. And he just goes, he just glances at her, like, what? <laughs> and then it cuts to Annie, same Tash. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell tells Bernie to go up to his room and grab a Laurel and Hardy DVD. Oh, and here it um, begins. 
are you team Annie on this one? Do you find Ace Ventura funnier? I don't or know Lauren Ace Hardy? Ventura so don't... either. Yeah, wow. Yeah, sorry. Well, I'm going to put this to a survey on Twitter. Yeah. Are you team Annie, Ace Ventura? Are you team Mitchell, Laurel and Hardy? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. maybe I'm going to check them out and then I can vote. Are you? Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, I've seen Ace Ventura, but not, not Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, so it'd well. have to be Ace Ventura. Yeah. I like how in this whole scene and the scenes before, we can really see how Mitchell like does anything to make people love him. In a way, because he goes yeah. bowling with Bernie. He never does that, usually. He takes him home and he buys sweets and he has a little kid party. And it's just all like he's like this, this chameleon for love, in a way. Just so then, people like him. But that's exactly, I think that fits into that that scene of the montage of him in different clothes. Yeah. He, he, he is that chameleon and he's just trying to fit in. Exactly. And when, as we say, the first half of this episode is he is growing in confidence and he seems happier yeah. as it goes on so he's more open to doing these things yeah uh george asks for reassurance that mitchell is safe around bernie and he says the lust for blood wasn't there the human me won through and this is pretty heartbreaking because yeah. it feels like mitchell is on the verge of what could actually be called happiness yes totally the vamps are leaving him alone for now, and he feels he's got his bloodlust under control. Yeah. But I think it's also telling um, in terms of his relationship to George, because George is always the one that has to like you know, rein him in a bit, even in the previous episodes, because he's always trying too much and getting too involved and taking too much on. And that's him doing the same thing again, in a way. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, just, it just pushes it too far, doesn't it? Yeah. So unfortunately for him, but fortunately for the show, this shit is about to get real. Yeah. Mitchell drops him home to a drunken Fleur. <laughs> so Fleur was slurred. Uh, she's ner- is that uh, she's actually a, diff- a difficult name to produce uh, <laughs> as a native English speaker? Probably. No, I don't think so. I think I think just because of that first scene she's in, she just says it out of nowhere. She doesn't say I'm Fleur. Yeah, I she just says it's just Fleur. I don't think um, in in German, for example. That name wouldn't raise any eyebrows, I think, because it's not no. difficult in any way. But apparently she just thinks it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not many flurs around, I don't think. No, that's true. That's true. As she's nursing a headache in the kitchen, Bernie asks if he can put a DVD on. Mm. Back at the pink house, while this is happening, George has a party ring hangover. Yeah. And Mi- Mitchell wonders what film Bernie has picked. Mm. So we one. see, <laughs> as we see Bernie watching a naked man straddling in the bed, Fleur is almost out cold, but sadly not out cold enough. Yeah. She wakes up, sees what's on the TV, and what I find strange here, actually, just before that happens, is there's a little voiceover from Mitchell. Yeah. It says, "Kids need a few laughs. We all do, and that's another fine mess you got me into." Now, I don't know. I think it's slightly jarring because I don't know whether that's supposed to be a continuation of the conversation that he's having with George. Yeah, I'm always wondering. You're right. That's... But I don't think it is. It's like no. a bit meta in a way. Or whether it's a continuation of his narration like at the start yeah, of the probably. episode. Maybe they just felt in post-production that they could get a little Laurel and, Laurel and Hardy quote in yeah that's probably is yeah i, I think that's what it is yeah. but it, it always strikes me as slightly unbalanced yeah you're right 
But these things only these things only come about when you watch a show too many times. <laughs> if you watch that once or twice, you would never even register. But I guess when you watch it so many times. Yeah, probably. Yeah. If that is post-production and they called it another fine mess, obviously series one and two, all the episodes were retrospectively titled, weren't ah, they? So they noticed, they, so they realised what they wanted to title it and then didn't have it in in the episode. So they had no, to... I think, no, I think that was in the original episode, but I I think because that's such a... Uh, because of the Lauren and... Lauren, I want to call it Lauren and Hardy because I've got this joke about Lauren and <laughs> <laughs> Hardy and I can't get it out of my head. Um, because it's a big part of the episode, they probably thought, oh, that clip, and it suits the episode well. Yeah. But retrospectively, series one and two were retitled with, mainly by Toby Whithouse, with a bit of help from fans on the blog. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. So as as things stand, if you've got a DVD, and probably on BritBox or anything now, when his show starts, it's episode one, episode two, episode three. Fans know them as the titles. Right, I did wonder that. So they only started naming episodes from a series three. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah. Because I wondered uh, why on my DVDs um, the titles aren't in there. Maybe because at the start of series three they were starting to name them. Toby thought, well, actually, I want to, I actually want to rename them and give it more of a identity rather than just episode one. Yeah, probably. Oh, that's so interesting. Fleur awakes from her slumber to see the vampire porn and she's soon docking on the pink house's door. Mitchell is shell-shocked by the insults. Soon the street is crowding around the scene. I'll tell the whole world of your nasty secret, getting close to defenceless children, winning them over, making friends and showing them filth. Men filth. Mm. But in the scene, the, the guy that approaches next to Fleur kept on repeating... Dirty bastard. Yeah. <laughs> dirty bastard. Dirty, dirty bastard. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's such an intense scene, but I don't know why. That kind of just tickles me. But again, this goes back to Aiden's amazing face mm. and just physical acting here because the penny hasn't dropped in his head yet. And yeah. he's just, you can just see in, in him, he's totally lost as to what is going on and just panics about what the hell is happening. Totally. He only realises when she pulls out the DVD. Yeah, cartwheels are going on his brain, and yes, she she slams the DVD into his chest. Yeah, I always think it's such a well. It, it feels like a strange topic to put in this episode. I think to put this whole big thing of pedophilia in here and and confront Mitchell with it. It is who isn't really. I mean, there's no his condition. Vampirism doesn't really represent anything that goes slightly in that direction or anything. He isn't gay, for example. Um, he isn't black. There's no stereotypes attached to what he looks like or what he's supposed to represent that really no. fit with that. So it always feels a bit out of place to me. I think maybe because like like of those things you just mentioned, for the sake of the story, the locals can't find out that he's a vampire and yeah. a werewolf and a ghost. I think this is a way in for the local community to hound around that house yeah, and probably. them to feel them to feel ostracized and it's not for what they are it's for a, a fabrication yeah and that's the their reality hitting home isn't it yeah it's just such a but, such a complex scene i think because fleur's anger in itself is kind of understandable i mean she should have just sought out a conversation with Mitchell probably and cleared yeah. up the misunderstanding um but to me the big 
problem, the big thing that makes it also horrible in the in the second half of the episode, isn't really Fleur's anger, but that the whole town apparently just latches onto that without any kind of evidence. Um, yes. And it's just based on secondhand knowledge. And that's it. And what, was, what I also like about this is the DVD, when it first appears at the end of episode two, it feels like, oh, this is just a thing to involving Lauren. Yeah. This is just a thing involving Mitchell and the vampires. And other than a couple of brief mentions in episode three, which again is still to do with Lauren and the vampires, you think that's it done. Yeah. It waits two episodes and then it comes back again. Yeah, and you right. would never you would you would just never believe it would come back in this way. It was very well set up because you really didn't know what would happen until Bernie pulled out this DVD. And it is a very dark subject. Terrible. I mean, how many shows would approach this? Yeah. I think it gives it the gravitas it deserves, but it's also deal, deals with it in a very funny way at times. Yeah, at times. And I think it does give it, give it the gravitas, but it also doesn't really explore the topic in itself. It's more like a, like a placeholder to um, to give reason to the switch hunt. What happens in the next scene yeah. is exactly the switch from dark to funny. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the house, he's being berated, like, and he can't believe he kept the DVD. George, why hide it in Laurel and Hardy? <laughs> what else have you got up there? Some German scat inside <laughs> Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. It is such a serious situation, but that line, again, every time. Yeah, we can always rely just... on George. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mitchell's just disgusted. I've never seen any scat. <laughs> and he's still lying, isn't he? He's still trying to justify what happened and doesn't tell them the truth at all. I just watched it like this first time. No, he didn't. Yeah, yeah. It's just so dramatic and ludicrous. Yeah. But I'm glad, actually, you're on this episode mm. because I hear you're a German scat expert. I'm not. I'm really not. <laughs> I just want to put, put it out there. She's not. Yeah, no, I'm not. What would a scat version of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang actually be called? I've got no idea. Shitty shitty bang bang. Thank you, I'm here all week. <laughs> okay, so Mitchell heads over to Fleur's house to try and make things right. She draws the curtains and a local tells Mitchell to pack his bags and fuck off. We'll make your life hell if you don't. And Mitchell's quite right. Oh, you think it gets worse than this. <laughs> Soon enough, the neighbours are scrawling graffiti on the house and throwing tomatoes at, at it. There's a really good ironic use of children holding boards that saying perverts out and pedos out yeah i was thinking just the same thing because the children don't know anything about the situation they're just used yeah 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 it's it's that societal thing to be part of a pack and i think again what ref mitchell's referencing at the start of the show they found something to latch on yeah. to no evidence or facts you know yeah i do think it's a it's a bit of a complex um complex topic because um with other situations there's also maybe no evidence, but you want to support victims, for example. And there, yeah. Maybe there can't be any evidence and you don't really know which side to pick. Um, the yeah. problem in this episode, I think, is just that it could be resolved, but they're not doing it. They're just randomly picking a side, even though they're missing information and they only have rudimentary knowledge of the social situation. Um, so yeah. there's this, this mindless support and that's the problem. Yeah, it's just a pile-on, isn't it? Yeah, but it, it, I think it's really like a dilemma because you also don't want to look away uh, when you actually shouldn't be. So that's why I think this yes. episode is so difficult in its morals. The neighbourhood has become the pack. Yeah. 
but basically defending their hive, I suppose. Yeah. Isn't it? We see Mitchell kicked out of the local shop, and then George approaching the house is spat on twice. Kid calls him a pervert. I'm not the pervert. <laughs> That's my housemate. Yeah, I wrote that down as well. Yeah, he enters the house exasperated. Who keeps their rotten tomatoes? Who looks in the salad cooler? Sees their tomatoes are on the turn and thinks, oh no. I'll hang on uh, to those keep... in case some peanuts uh, moving opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and might be my favourite quote of the season, actually. It's just so good. Yeah. And then a brick fires through the window. Yeah. And George says, this is always going to happen. Mitchell responds, they know what they don't know what we are. They're just seen a mob and piled in because it's easier than ha- them having to stop and think. It really shows how differently they're dealing with the situation, I think, because George takes yeah. it all very personal. George what? takes it personally, and I think Mitchell just tries to close it down, yeah. doesn't he, in his head. Yeah. George thinks this is supposed to happen. I'm a monster. This ha- always has to happen to me. I think George feels like it's the, it's the punishment for trying to put himself out there a bit more. Um, and he really yeah. shouldn't be, and that's all he's he's getting for it is, is hatred because he he feels that that's really not what he what he should do in his current uh, situation. And partly, I think Mitchell is dealing with it differently because he's more switched off to it because he's been in cycles of this over yeah. a few years, quite a few years longer. Yeah, Mitchell's mainly annoyed, I think, and he feels very wrong. George says, we've been deluding ourselves. We could ever be accepted here by proper human beings. We are monsters. We deserve to be cast out. And Annie hears all this from around the corner. It's another scene where she's not really there, but she is. Yeah, but I think that's probably exaggerated because Owen has made her feel that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because her energy is low and her confidence is low. She's, She's almost fading into the background. Yeah. At the hospital, Nina asks if her date with George is still on. George has become withdrawn and declares things over. He's just in a mess. Nina rightfully saying, it's not you, it's me, is a stabbable fence in my book. (laughs) He says it's bad news. There is stuff you don't know about me. Really dark, dangerous stuff. And when you do know it, you'll walk. Yeah, he's just given up now. Really heartbreaking because they don't know each other that well. But you can see the promise in them and he, he just... He's lost the fight. Yeah, yeah. I think the situation was like a, like a reality shock for him, he feels. So what was I thinking? That I could maybe have a life. I can't. Whereas Mitchell has gone in circles and circles of, yeah. of this and he tried, reinvents himself. So we talk about it, he reinvents himself again. So even though he feels in, injustice now and angry now, I think at the back of his mind, he's probably going, well, I can move on. Yeah. I can move to another city. I, you know, I'm pretty much invincible. I can change my hair colour, I can change my clothes. Yeah, probably. Move on, and George doesn't have that. Mm. Back at the house, Mitchell gets off the phone to Owen, who is coming over. This sets Annie messing the house up again in anger, and George is baffled, and Mitchell calmly informs him, she's a poltergeist. (laughs) How has he not noticed before? She doesn't want him here, and Mitchell doesn't want her to be there when Owen is here. George is shrieking again, Mm. and to top it all off, Bloody Barbie Girl by Aqua is blaring. It's like, isn't it the first music in this episode and the last? I think there's no music. You know what? That is right, actually. Sarah mentioned this in the previous episode, that this didn't have much music in it. You are so right. Yeah, I think it's probably to show that it's the darkest so far. Yeah. And the only fucking song in this episode is Barbie Girl, is it? (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I tell you what, that is not on my Being Human playlist. Mm, it's not on mine either, no. Owen and Janie come round the house and it's 
a difficult balancing act this scene because they're clearly worried about Annie freaking out and causing all sorts of troubles with the electrics. They're in trouble for the DVD. Yeah. But they also know what what Owen is and who he is. Yeah. They definitely so, hate uh, him now. Yeah. So from all angles, they're they're all trying to play it at different levels. Yeah. It's a precarious situation. So Janie hands hands George a jiffy, and it's full of human chitty chitty. <laughs> As she goes upstairs to wash her hands, George Bellows, kitchen! Uh, Because Annie's upstairs, isn't she? I love Owen's little line. They didn't get any on the envelope, though. Impressive, (laughs) eh? (laughs) So George sees Annie upstairs, and she is struggling not to the burst. It's like he's killing me all over again. It's so sad to watch her. While George was upstairs, Mitchell has explained the situation to Owen. Owen clearly believes it. In fact... Don't ever lend a Red Dwarf DVD off him. Mm. <laughs> we really, really shouldn't know. Janie appears. Have you told them yet? And this is the news that Owen has given them notice to leave the house. <sighs> ever in touch with the mood, Janie wants to do some measurements. And the fellow in quip, a quip about Annie not exactly being Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen. There's a really good moment where they, Mitchell and George just glare <laughs> at Owen. He, he laughs at the joke and yeah. he's face... His face drops and you can see who the Owen is underneath in that little drop of his face. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, isn't that also when he goes up and just decides to wrap this all up as quickly as possible because apparently he can't make small talk with them anymore. Yeah, and he's saying to Janie it's being disrespectful because they're downstairs. Yeah. That sets Annie off. Yeah, Janie's going on about, oh, maybe we could put a cot in this room. And as Annie says, it's literally she's watching the life that was taken away from yeah. her. Yes, but she does get angry in this episode, in this scene, and she—it's the scene she finds some strength in herself for the first time again. She's not like yes. this apathetic as she was. Apath- is apathetic? Empathetic. No, yeah. I mean uh, like um, quiet and withdrawn as she was before yeah. in this episode. I and, and I think this is the first glimpse of the strength yeah. that Annie has because obviously she's been quite browbeaten, I suppose. Yeah. This is the first strength that the first sign that she's got a lot of strength with again, but that comes back in later scenes. Yeah. He ushers Janie out of the room, and then Annie goes, and there you are. Ah, it's so painful to watch her in this episode, but it's also great because she starts to find herself, and so yeah. she finds this other part of herself that isn't just caring and nice. Nina approaches the house, and Fleur. <laughs> I'm sticking to this now. Yeah. <laughs> warns her to stay away they're sick and as nina turns around you can see emblazoned above her head the word perv george answers and she says so this is your secret (laughs) and there's one e in pedo not two cretins in my head that always continues to have i taught you nothing from season two (laughs) yes yes some people actually though i think americans say pedophile don't they i think so they probably spell it differently as well yeah. Let's not. Get, I mean, we've talked about scat. Let's not get hung up no. on the spelling of pedophile. <laughs> George says, "Do I look like a pedo?" And one of my favourite Nina lines: "If pedos look like pedo, they'd never do any pedo." Yeah, that's really a good one. With full emphasis on the p's. Mm. Yeah. So he says, "Trouble follows me like a curse, and you deserve so much better." But this is even in sadness. Nina is really strong and assured yeah. in this, and that's. A sign of things to come for Nina. I like how and she, she says, I, w- "I like how she sees God. through him." Apparently, because he's putting all this on, all this pain, or all, all this self-deprecation, and Nina's like, "Well, I, I'm, I could be here if you want me." Yeah, yeah. 
She said, I would have listened years from now when you're when you pushed everyone away and you will. But let that be a lesson to you. I would have listened. Yeah. Yeah, so she wants to break through his barrier, yeah. doesn't she? And I think she also in the scene establishes herself as someone to be trusted, maybe, with a difficult topic. Yes. And it's something he later relies on. Because obviously he's just pushed away at the hospital for no reason yeah. in her mind. She's gone to the house where he could be a paedophile. <laughs> and she's still going, I'm going to listen. Yeah. Talk to me. And he he just can't do yeah. it. Mitchell is back in his happy place, mopping at the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> when Herrick approaches, someone's made a very serious allegation about you. And Mitchell is baffled as to why he's heard about it. What do you think all this is? You think I'm a kissogram? Yeah. Now, what I find funny, and I think this has only occurred to me recently, is obviously he's a police officer, yeah. but he also runs a funeral parlour. Oh, you're right. So, say people have interacted with him as a police officer and then used the funeral parlour and they'll be like, hang on a minute. You're right, that's strange. He does have kind of two professions and it's never addressed. No, it's never really occurred to me before. No, me neither. Because obviously it's, he's, he's a big part of the community because he's a police officer and he's he runs a funeral parlor yeah he's a bit strange yeah we'll overlook yeah but um this is where herrick's powers of manipulation that we uh kind of hinted at earlier come to play again definitely he says i do admire your restraint back in the day we would have handled this very differently yeah and mitchell plays along as they reminisce about past conquest yeah he he gets them to indulge in it or for a minute which is way more than he got before out of him Again, there's just this is an episode with such great face acting. Aiden's done it. Yeah. Uh, Greg has done it as Owen. Yeah. And now, Jason Watkins as as Herrick. What? Because when when Mitchell goes on as onto the story, and Herrick clearly knows what the story is, yeah. but he's coaxing Mitchell to tell it. Yeah. That look in Herrick's eye, that knowing look, it's so. Good. Oh yeah, it definitely is. He's trying to like reawaken his darker side. And again, it's yes. like in the first scene. It's, he's trying to remind him of his options. There's another way. Yeah, it's that push and pull, isn't yeah. it? So at the start of the episode, no, you go away, do your thing. And then he's just going, ah, but we did this. And yeah, exactly. remember those days. So it's nighttime back at the house and George and Mitchell are watching an old black and white movie of rioting people running with pitchforks as Mitchell mumbles, mumbles a tragic misunderstood monster chased by the mob. George insists they're not fit to live among decent people and Mitchell's stern face says it's, it's a good job we, we don't then. I love that so much. It's such a dry delivery. Yeah, I think what we alluded to earlier, it's definitely a commentary on how society can go along with the herd, yeah, really. Yeah, definitely. It's that, it's that safety in numbers. And to go back to Mitchell's speech at the beginning again, and he said, where do I fit in? The neighbourhood has massed ranks together yeah. because of fear. And fear is the biggest cause of unrest, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, true. It's a justified fear, but it's being carried out with no demands for actual facts. Yeah. Yeah, fear makes people say crazy things. It makes people do crazy things. It's a big part of racism, the sexism, of homophobia. Yeah, definitely. A fear of the unknown and a a fear of beliefs that are unknown to people are the basic factors of why people don't work together yeah you're absolutely right that's, that's a big cause of fallout yeah and that george, but but george is like the first time he's come in contact with this as you said it's the first time he's, he's hated like this yes. and he of course first right away thinks he deserves all of it and i think that's even more nowadays even since the show was made everything is so binary now yeah stupid culture wars like we must have an opinion either way yeah you must be on that side or that side you're absolutely and right there's there's not much commentary on well, actually, I would like to know the facts before I 
Definitely, yeah. Tell you have to like find your position right away, and there's no no way to really uh, inform yourself or just to say I'm gonna step back <laughs> from this because yeah. I don't know very much about it, and it's also not my topic I'm thinking about today. And you can draw parallels to that behavior in the acts of the locals. They're scared, but they they don't have the facts or don't want the facts. Yeah. Mitchell is a paedophile to them, but general consensus has swept along with that. Yeah. And the fear, the fear has engulfed them. Yeah. It's that binary thing, you're this or you're that. Yeah. And again, he, he said labels. They're labelling him something. Totally. Definitely. Yeah, it really is a callback to this very first scene. When there's no nuance, things get dangerous, I think. Yeah. And he's gotten more aggressive, I think, now, Mitchell. I mean, he was annoyed in the previous scenes as well as how, at how the people were reacting to him. But now he's a bit more, yeah, aggressive. He's changed his tune somehow, I think. He feels very misunderstood. Right, a sense of unjustness, yeah. isn't it? George stumbles into the kitchens and, and notices a fire in the garden and responds in a way that only George knows how. <laughs> shrieking. Of Annie is burning her memories of Owen. Uh, everything that Owen and I ever had, the old life can go to ash, she goes on. I was dead before I even met Owen. A whole life just wasted on trivia and routine. Not now. Now I have a purpose, a reason to be here. Owen has taken everything he's ever going to take from me and he's not taking you two or this house i've never felt more alive so so theatrical of her but it's very in character but it's a big moment of the episode Definitely. so the buzzer goes and mitchell goes to answer and is expecting more grief but it's bernie at the door bernie apologizes and mitchell insists he has nothing to apologize for and then comes dirty bastard <laughs> man <laughs> Oi, Gary Glitter, you're just taking the piss now. So a scene on the doorstep commences. Insults are hurled. I don't know why. There's a off-camera. Go on, smack him in the face. That also <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> but Mitch is much more confrontational in the scene, isn't he? He isn't usually like that with humans. He's really yes, when, losing his cool. Yeah, when George appears at the door, you can see the worry in George's yeah. face that he's going to go vamp up. Yeah. Fleur calls out for Bernie as he and as he runs, he gets caught in the headlights of a car. And Mitchell goes to chase him, but he doesn't get there in time. And Bernie gets hit and crashes to the floor. Now, this is a trigger in Mitchell, ranting at all the locals. They're only human, then it's our mistake wanting to be like That's them. That's a very strong line, I think. It signals so much of a change in him. And just think where he was 20 minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. He's about, that, that's uh, the thing about his whole character. He's so impulsive. As Owen turns to ashes, Annie comes out of the front to discover that she can be seen. And a classic Annie statement that we hear a lot of. You can see me. <laughs> that's really, it's, it's so great for her. I mean, it, you, we, as uh, now we know that the burning um, helped her. But during the scene earlier, we, you, know, you could watch it and just think, oh, she's very dramatic right now. <laughs> yeah, and it's just symbolic of how she grow, has grown through the episode, yeah. isn't it? Uh, distraught George ends up at Nina's house. She comforts him. And he says, if I tell you I'm a man with secrets, can you live with that? Yeah, and she can. Uh, yeah, and then she nervously lifts her top up to reveal scars of her previous life. Yeah. And she says, people can be bastards. That's all you need to know. It's a great little bonding moment for them. I mean, it's not really little. It's a bonding moment. It's a moment where they re both realise they've got secrets and they're, again, on the same level in their relationship. Yeah, exactly. And George assures her, I never want anything like that to happen to you again. Uh, good luck with that one. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. This was such a big and brave thing of Nina to do, Definitely. but it's still it still can't coax the truth out of George. I mean, for obvious reasons. Yeah, but she didn't tell him what happened either. No. At the hospital bed, Mitchell approaches Fleur. 
there's an acceptance that she didn't listen to Bernie. Mitchell offers his help. I know death doesn't have to be final. I'm proof of it. This comes across as a bit Bible bashy. Yeah. I'm talking about something older and stronger than religion. That car hit two people. Yes, Mitchell, it kind of hit your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's be honest with that yeah, one. Yeah, definitely. It wasn't. He didn't really get crashed by it. Bernie, a human, and me, a vampire. Obviously, she has lots of disbelief on this, and he asks her for a mirror. Where am I, Fleur? Why aren't I beside you? Us vampires were born, not made, snatched from a human life at the moment of death. I can give him a new life. That's so strange. I, I used to really not understand why he would do that. I mean, there's so much uh, just fiction uh, about vampire kids that all say it's a really bad idea to make vampire kids. <laughs> Doesn't he know that? Hasn't he read Interview with a Vampire? <laughs> or Twilight? <laughs> I, can't, I don't have Mitchell Dan as a Twilight fan. Probably not. The intentions are really, I think, more for Fleur than for Bernie. Yeah, probably. It's a bad it's idea. It's a bad idea, it? but it shows, I think I've understood now, that it shows just how differently he feels about his vampiric nature now and how that has changed over the course of the episode and how much yeah. Herrick really got in his head because that's kind of yeah. what they're doing in the next episode. They're offering it to people that kind of maybe want it, um, yeah. even though they shouldn't. Um, now he thinks uh, it's maybe it can be used in another way. It can be useful. Doesn't really think too much about the whole thing. Yeah, and that's exactly what Herrick was talking about in episode one, isn't it? Yeah. That method of doing exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. And now he's open to it suddenly. He doesn't think vampirism uh. is inherently bad anymore, apparently. It shows how disillusioned he is, because that's always how he reacts when humans disappoint him in some way or another. Yeah. He always goes yeah, and he... lashes out, and now he's in pain because of Bernie. So, of course, he's doing something to take revenge, in a way. Yeah, he just ebbs and flows, doesn't he? Yeah. he, he like you say, he's so impulsive. Yeah. Fleur says, if you were me, would you choose that life for yours, your son? Because I don't see much happiness in you, Mitchell. Only this rewatch, I realised that they pick up the happiness topic here again. Because at yeah. first he was discussing the whole same thing with, uh, with Bernie and he said, well, uh, maybe I'm happy now. And now Fleur tells him that actually, no, there isn't much happiness in him. It's so sad. Well, well exactly. I think she just missed his 10 seconds of happiness. Probably, so. yeah. Uh, we cut to her standing over Bernie's dead body and crying. It looks like she's declined the offer and the sheet is put over him. Yeah. Why does he put this responsibility on her? That's so unfair. She can't even know what it means, what it implies. She has all the, all the uh, knowledge of vampirism. She doesn't. It's yeah. such an unfair choice. Yeah, and that's why that's probably why it's unfair. Because if he'd gone into detail, well, actually, he'll be bloodthirsty. He'll kill yeah. people. Yeah, but Mitchell's not thinking about it. that. No, yeah. Mitchell and Fleur are at the train station. She's leaving Bristol for life new, and we think it's just her on her own for a bit. But then, in the distance, up the stairs comes Bernie Mark too. Yeah, quite why he wasn't with her already. We'll leave that down to dramatic effect. Right, never thought <laughs> he made about his that. own. He made his own way from the hospital. Yeah. Uh, he thanks Mitchell, but I think he just knows that what he's done is wrong, yeah. and he's just he just dismisses it. Yeah, I like um, I like this Bernie's... line that um, Fleur is telling him that she's told the community there was all a misunderstanding, and he can't go back now. But Mitchell says it doesn't matter anymore, which really yeah. tells us all we need to know about where he's standing and what he's going to do next. And Bernie's last line is a worrying look to his mum and says. <laughs> Mum, I'm hungry. Yeah. 
But good luck, Fleur. You're going to need it. It's a similar kind of abandoning him as he did with Lauren in a way. He just made a new vampire and then put the responsibility on someone else and said, now deal with it. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. There's no... Well, I guess Herrick is right, as he said at the start of episodes. He stuck with Mitchell because he felt it was his responsibility. And Mitchell has not done any of that. Yeah. Then, even more worryingly for Mitchell, back at the funeral parlour, he storms in and says, I'm in to a delighted Herrick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it closes the whole arc of the episode. Yeah, wonderfully. And that is episode four done. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I think this episode, the first time properly, it strays away from being a fairly standard comedy drama. I know I know, there's supernatural element, but generally speaking... Yeah, probably. I think, I think this is properly introduces that deep brooding atmosphere that we get yeah. and it becomes synonymous with the show especially as each series gets towards the end yeah there's new music it's much darker the humor at times it's much darker than it used to be yes oh, oh richard wells's music is just incredible yeah, of course. throughout the whole the whole yeah. thing it's just stunning and yeah and i guess barbie girl might be the only so it is. I paid song. attention to it, and it seems to be the only the only song in there. It's such a dark episode. Yeah. Barbie Girl is the song. You know, when I was when I was listening to um, when you were uh, looking at Flotsam and Jetsam, um, you talked about the the scene uh, where they're discussing why are we even trying. Yeah. And I was even when I was listening to that, I was thinking, oh, that's relevant for my episode <laughs> because it's like the whole yeah. theme of the show, and that's the first time it really gets uh, gets becomes relevant. It's it's the essence of it, kind of. And it's always like they're always desperately searching to to answer that question in a positive way. Uh, why are we trying? Oh, it's that. It's that. And this is the time I think when Mitchell really doesn't find an answer anymore. In the moment. And when Mitchell doesn't find an answer in the moment, okay, he turns bad. Even, I won't say the line, because obviously that's quite a way away yet, but even how, yeah. in series five, he has a line that's similar yeah, to totally. that. Totally. It's, it's that constant battle, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's always what trips them up. But it's also, on, on, on the flip side, I think it's also what makes the show so beautiful in the way, because they all know, especially the vampires, I think, know that what they're trying to achieve is not really achievable. But they're trying anyway and they're just like treading water and holding on even though they know it's not the, the final result will probably never be final <laughs> and never be great yeah. um but they're always There'll never be a resolution yeah but they're always trying and in that way the show i think shows us really how it's more about um the way and less about the destination and that everything you do on your way really still matches on the friends you make and the things you experience and the happy happy things you do um, that it's all really that it all matches no matter where you end up and i think that's just so so hopeful about the show and inspirational yeah. in a way that's... what an episode yeah. honestly because it's in, it's in in contrast to the slightly more light-hearted ghost town definitely i think aiden is magnificent in this and we even have a child actor who was good yeah he was bernie was great yeah. uh, and julia i think was wonderful as fleur yeah. I just think every part of the storyline's progressed. George and Nina, Annie is now visible and out for vengeance. Yeah, and it's a tipping point big bad, for all of them. Yeah, Big Bad John is going dark side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. So are you Team Annie, Ace Ventura, or Team Mitchell, Laurel and Hardy? 
Uh, let us know at Box Tunnel Pod on Twitter. If you would like to be an honorary old one and come on the show and discuss an episode, get in contact with me at boxtunnelpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram under the Box Tunnel Survivors Group. You can also like and subscribe or follow us on your podcast app of choice. We'll leave now with our theme tune, which is Dog Scratched Ear by the brilliant Henry's Funeral Shoe. See you next time, you dirty, dirty bastards. was the Box Tunnel Podcast, and thanks.